Hey, the word for the day is stuck. And I have uh, one of my little quizzes here. So uh, here's question number one. The word is stuck. What should you do if the gas pedal in your car gets stuck while you were driving? All right, anybody had that happen to him lately? All right. Option A, pump your brakes hard. Option B, open the door and jump out. C, shift in a neutral, get off the road. D, turn off your car and coast to stop. Or E, honk your horn and keep driving. All right, correct answer is C, shift in a neutral. Actually, if you turn off your car, which I was around the internet, somebody was suggesting that, and then somebody else, if you turn off your car, what happens to your steering? You got no power steering, all right? All right, next stuck question. What do you do? Golf ball in a tree. How many golfers do we have here? Golf. What do you do in your golf cart? A, play it as it lies. B, hit the tree with a club to see if the ball falls out. C, swear loudly. D, declare the ball unplayable and take a one-stroke penalty. Or E, discreetly drop another ball on the ground and say, oh, look, here it is. <laughs> All, right. All right, correct answer. Not, not, not what would you do. Correct answer. Possibilities is A, you could play it as it lies. Uh, the rule, and I don't know how you hit it out of a tree, but I suppose some people have tried that. Or you could declare the ball unplayable, take a one-stroke penalty. All right, next stuck question. What should you do when your car gets stuck in the snow? Anybody had that? All right. All right, A, rock the car back and forth. B, let air out of your tires for traction. C, swear loudly. D, dig. E, all of the above. F, all except one of the above. All right, let's go with F on that one. Okay, all right. There's a theme here. I should probably should stay away from that theme. All right, next, next question, number four. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, what is the record for the longest time stuck in an elevator? A, six hours. B, two days. C, six days. Or D, 13 days. Stuck in an elevator. Correct answer, six days, Cypriot Papajan in Cyprus, a woman who was 76 years old, got stuck in an elevator for six days, had just been to the grocery store, so she had munch on, cried, really was angry with God because she thought it was an unfair way for her to die. It's all on the internet, so you can read that. All right. all right, next one, number five. This is kind of a short answer question. Your child gets something stuck in their nose. Small toys, crown pieces, erasers, food, Legos, coins. Some of you could add things. Based on some groundbreaking new research from British scientists, a safe and effective technique to remove the foreign object called, is called the mother's kiss. What is the mother's kiss? To remove something stuck from your child's nose. Everybody done this before? All right. Mother puts their mouth over the child, closes the natural that doesn't have, that is clear, and blows hard in the child's mouth, and they say often it will come out of the nostril, all right? If you, haven't, if you have that issue, now you know what to do to get that unstuck, all right? Or maybe that's what the British do. I don't know, maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. All right, number six. This one may be hard to see. How did this child get stuck? And if you can't tell, it's inside one of those games that you kind of have a crane and get animals out of, all right? Said the child and the mother was trying to get a toy out. The mother went to get some more tokens. The child thought, aha, look where the toys come out of. In the bottom left there, crawled inside, got inside the machine. Took them a while to get the child out. I think they had to break the machine. All right. Uh, question for the morning is this one right here then. Stuck. Because it probably describes a lot of your, my, Life. You might think, well, I'm, some of you, 
may be stuck in a bad relationship or you may feel stuck in a bad marriage or you might feel stuck in your career, stuck in your college life, stuck in your uh, financial life, stuck in your spiritual life. Like you feel like, okay, a year ago, I was kind of, at least from your perception, I was the same place I was than I am now. And I come to think, 2010, I was the same place I am now. 2009, 2008, and you kind of realize, I think I've been stuck like a car spinning in the snow, and I'm not sure if I've moved anywhere with God. I'm not sure if I should be mad at God about that, or mad at myself about that, or what I'm supposed to be feeling, because I'm stuck. And when you're stuck, there's nothing more frustrating than you, you do what you think you're supposed to do to move forward, and you find yourself back at square one, and you're like, see, it's not even worth the effort anymore. And I'm, I, I know there are people here who can relate to the feeling of feeling stuck in your life spiritually. Or in other aspects, that all will have some connection to your spiritual life. Because we, you know, the Bible tells us Jesus has, God has all these promises about what our life can be. Abundant, forgiving, full, free, alive, all these things. And that's what God's promises are. But you look at your, the life you're living and the reality and you kind of feel stuck in a place that's far from that place. Not sure what to do about that. Today we're going to talk about, and this leads into some things in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the Exodus. All right? Novel idea. It's the name of the church. The name of the church was chosen for a reason. Um, and part of this story, I've actually spoken on some of this stuff before, but I wanted to do it again because I think it's where a lot of us are, and I think we get back there a lot of times. Okay, the Exodus in the Old Testament, ex, Exodus literally means uh, the way out. It's the Greek word for the way out. So this is the second book of the Bible. It describes uh, people, God's people who were in Egypt. And they were in Egypt first as free people. But then they came too many and the Pharaoh decided he had to enslave them. So all of a sudden they found their life they were promised something by God. God said to Abraham, your descendants are going to have this land and this life of promise and abundance and goodness, and you're going to be alive and awake and free. That's what he told Abraham. Well, then X hundred years later, all of a sudden they find themselves, and God has all these big promises. They still have them, but they find themselves in Egypt, and they're not alive, awake, and free. They're enslaved, they're oppressed, and they're bitter. What do you do with God's promises in those situations? Right? I mean, they had the scrolls that said what God said to Abraham. I'm like, well, God, you said that, but my reality is enslaved, oppressed, and I'm a little bit bitter about that. So what do I do? And in this case, we're not going to focus on this part of the story, but in this case, you remember God, through the plagues and through the leadership of Moses, brought people out of Egypt across the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, and they journeyed to the promised land, modern-day Israel. And you'll notice what I have driven, uh, on the screen here, the straight line between Egypt and the promised land, but the route that God took them was quite different, and the route was different even, but you know, some of you know the story, they were actually, because of their rebellion during this travel time, God gave them a 40-year penalty. That's a big yellow flag that God threw. 40-year penalty 
But even before God gave them that penalty, God was not going to take them straight there. And this is, our, this is part of our frustration, my frustration. When I'm stuck, I want to get unstuck as soon as possible. God, don't make me wait. I've got my time frame. I've got the way that we as Americans would do this. We would get it done and right? But for some reason, God's not American. He doesn't value what we value in terms of speed and quickness and efficiency. God's not all that efficient in terms of our values. So here's where we are in our life then. Go to the next slide. We're stuck and we want to get unstuck. We're going from stuck. We want to feel like we're free, we're alive, just like the children of Israel did. But let's, I'm going to go through different short scenarios of their journey that I think uh, can encourage us, and it, you'll see that's kind of an odd word to use right now. They can encourage us about how God may be working in your life right now to unstuck you. Unstick you? That's not a word either way. Unstuck you. It's a verb. I just made it up. All right. So here's four different things from the, from the journey of eight, from Moses to the children of Israel. Once they were, they were kind of propelled out of Egypt, they were unstuck initially, but they weren't completely free yet. And I know from talking to some of you, some of you talk, have talked to me about your spiritual journey where you feel like God's doing good things. You prayed the prayer, reveal myself to me, or God, reveal yourself to me. And you feel like God showed you things, but you still feel like you're maybe wandering, but you're heading the right direction, you think. Your compass is pointed the right way, you think. Here's uh, scenario number one in this journey, all right? Pharaoh let them go. He let them go begrudgingly because of oh, the plagues and the death of the firstborn children. God did not lead them on the main road to the Philistine country, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. All right, I'm... I like playing the role of being an advisor to God. I'm advising God here, and I'm thinking, okay, why not the shortest route? Get people there quickly, get their pain behind them, get them unstuck quickly, right? But then God says, but if the people are faced with a battle, because he knew the straight way out, the quickest way out would be occupied territory, people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them a roundabout way through the wilderness. You may have a certain way in mind through which God needs to be leading you to freedom. And you have it all, and I'm saying you, I, I did the same thing. We have it all figured out about what that's supposed to look like. And we know point A and point B is a straight line, I'll go that way. But then you try to go this way and you hit this invisible God force field and all of a sudden he sends you that way and then that way and then he sends you over to Kirkwood and all over the place and you're like, God, I just want to go there. But you don't know what's between you and there if God made you. You don't know if you're ready for that kind of a transformation in that kind of time. Because God's not concerned primarily about you getting there. He's concerned primarily about you having the character and the capacity spiritually to get there well and alive and awake and free. He might get you to the place that you want to get to. He could get you there really fast. I always tell people, this is, a, this is an analogy that doesn't work as much anymore, except if you know the Superman movies, where Superman would go in the phone booth. Clark Kent, I mean Clark Kentwood, I'm sorry. Side note, when's the last time any of you saw a phone booth? Right? A real phone booth. Clark Kent gets in the phone booth. He 
changes his flow somehow, and he's Superman. You know, his chest has got bigger. He's got his nice blue, red tights on. And I always, I want to say to God, God, why can't that happen to us? Why can't you just boom? But again, God is more concerned about your character growing than about you getting to the place where you think you need to be. Because when you get there, you'll have a large, big-hearted, you'll be a large, big-hearted, deep-hearted person. And that's what God wants. He wants big people. All right. Second passage from the Exodus about how God got them unstuck. All right. When the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, they were already part one of the journey. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp at Piharoth. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness and will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. Okay, first of all, turn back. Why when, we've had, why, when we think we've had progress, why does God say, okay, now walk back two steps? I have a hard time with that. But he's doing that so they can bait Pharaoh to chase them. It's like, why would you invite the enemy to come after you? I was talking to someone recently uh, as part of Exodus, and, and I was saying that there's times when you feel like you've taken some backward steps but sometimes backward steps are forward steps. You just don't see it that way. Because sometimes God's taking you to a place that he wants to show you more about his glory, more about himself. But again, in our minds, we get frustrated and sometimes shake our fists at God. And I'm not being disrespectful to God in that way. I think there's legitimate times. I think God actually would rather us be angry at his face than to turn around and walk away. That's what Job did. Job was angry at God's face, in his face. He was still in relationship with him. It's kind of like in marriage. The, the worst thing in marriage is not the conflict. It's when you stop having the conflict because you, you're apathetic and you don't talk about it anymore. But when God says, turn back, go back to where you were before, and this way we're going to bait Pharaoh to come after you. It's like, God, you could make it much easier and just, could, you could just take Pharaoh out. You couldn't, couldn't you show your glory that way by taking Pharaoh out? But God knows what he's doing, and we don't. Maybe that's a lesson from this part of the passage. In your, in your journey of being unstuck, God knows what he's doing, and you all, we all don't. Next part of the passage. This is, again, part of God's instructions to the journey of people going from stuck to unstuck. I'll send my terror ahead of you. I'll make all your enemies turn and run. Okay, I like that. Right? We like that. God, do that for me. Yes. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals would multiply and threaten you. I will drive them out a little at a time. Say that with me in yellow. A little at a time until your population is increased enough to take possession of the land. Again, God could... Think of the obstacles in your life right now. Whether it's an obstacle in a relationship, obstacle in your marriage, obstacle in your financial life, your career, your personal life, secret whatever. And God says on some of those things, I could take care of it just like that. But sometimes God will take care of those obstacles little by little because again, he's more concerned about your capacity and your character growing than he is about you getting to a comfortable place. Now, hear me on this. If you're in some kind of a pattern of sin, the way to get out of sin is not little by little. It's run. 
All right, that's, not, that's, that's the different thing here. This is the obstacles that you have no control over, that you pray and you say, God, you could take this situation away from me right now. Sometimes God can, sometimes he'll say, I will, but it'll be a little at a time because you're not ready to handle it if it's all gone yet. I want you to grow to become a big person first. He was saying to the Israelites, I want you to be a bigger population so you can handle the land. And again, God's more concerned about us becoming big people than he is concerned about us becoming comfortable people. All right? Last part of the journey of stuck to unstuck. And this is the one that probably... uh, gets me the most. Um, if you remember the story, they were guided by a cloud of fire at night and just a large cloud of the daytime. And they were only to leave this whole mass of people to the desert. They were only to go when the cloud moved. If the cloud stood still. They were supposed to camp there until the cloud moved again. Okay, I can handle that. God's got his nice little GPS system guiding people to get to the, uh, out of the wilderness. But speed is the issue here, because whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it, and wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. Whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days, okay, it's a two-day travel break, that's a good thing, all right? A month, okay, a month is a little bit long, living in a tent with people I don't always, you know, the next-door neighbor tent, aren't, they don't take their trash out or whatever, I don't know. Here. The people of Israel stayed in the camp and did not move on. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. I don't know what it would have been like to be sitting in that camp and every day looking for the cloud to move and it didn't move for a year. So you get up in the morning. Hey, Moses, we're going anywhere today? We're going to the promised land. We're going to get there. Hey, God, are we going to go? We kind of left this stuck life behind, but we're feeling stuck here. We're going to go. Um, No, the cloud hasn't moved yet. Well, what is Moses, what are we supposed to do today? I'm tired. This has been like 11 months now, and we haven't moved anywhere. What do you want us to do? And my guess is Moses would probably would have said, I'm, I'm, this is all made up, but I think this would be legitimate. Moses would probably have said, well, do what we always do. Love your wife well, love your kids, honor your parents, forgive people who have hurt you, honor God and love God. Live your life today. But Moses, we want to get to the promised land. We want to get there. Well, the cloud cloud hasn't moved yet. Moses, it's been 11 months. And then Moses probably gets back in his tent and is like, God, it's been 11 months. I can't handle this. All right? Somebody said to me recently, and it it was a really good conversation. They said to me recently, sometimes they felt recently... And, and there's a legitimacy in this. They felt recently like, they said, you know, lately I felt like Exodus, Exodus as a church, as a people, I feel like we're kind of stuck. And they said, I feel like we're kind of stuck on the other side of the Jordan River and not into the promised land. And like, why aren't we moving as a church? Some of you may feel about their individual lives, you may feel about their marriage, but I'm saying about the church. Sometimes, why aren't we moving? And and there's always, there's always this sense of, okay, God, what's... And I told this person, you know what? I had the same frustration. And what we talk about among the elder team and other leaders is we, we firmly believe that we move, we will move. I don't mean move like facility. I don't mean move like we need to find another building. Oh, that's a whole other topic we're not going to talk about right now. But move in terms of movement forward spiritually. We move when God tells us to move. We, do, we change things when God tells us to change things. 
Now, yes, sometimes the movement forward in our spiritual lives might be hindered by a sin in our lives. You know, God says, if you cherish sin in your heart, I'm not going to hear you. So yeah, you do need to stop and at least ask yourself, and we need to ask ourselves in church, you need to ask yourself in your marriage, in your family, whatever, is there some undealt with sin in my life that may be blocking the work, blocking us moving to freedom? You have to ask that, but you don't need to dwell answers you and if if you sense that there's nothing that God said is in the way then you have to deal with okay God but why aren't we there yet a day two months two days a month a year why aren't we there yet and you get and it's easy to get frustrated but then what do you do well you do what you do every day you love your spouse you love your kids, you honor your parents, you don't commit adultery, you forgive others, you don't covet, you live life well and let God increase the capacity of your heart, increase the, way that, the ways in which the Holy Spirit can fill you up. And then when he says move, when he sends you to your next assignment or moves in your marriage, moves in a church, moves things, moves things forward, then the, the church is a church of big people who are ready to take on a big task that God's given them. But if God's not going to move people until they're ready. And so, I'm going to jump real fast here to the New Testament. Let's, let's jump like a couple thousand years here. Because this verse is where we're going to most of the month of January and maybe a few times in February. And I'll relate this to what we just talked about here. This is Jesus in Luke chapter 4, and this is one of Jesus' first public statements about his mission and what he came to do. And if you know the story, and if you don't, I'll just retell it. There's a regular habit throughout the week of men going to the synagogue, and they would take turns reading the scripture reading for that day. And uh, it was different, you know, different rotations. We don't know the exact rotation it was. Somehow this particular day, it was either Jesus' turn or he just took his turn out of turn. We don't know. For some reason, Jesus stood up and he took the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and he started reading. All right, so um, someone reading from one of the Old Testament prophets wasn't unusual. But in this case, it was Jesus and he took part of the Old Testament from Isaiah and he started reading this from Isaiah The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, do you hear in there the exodus? Release, freedom, recovery of sight, release from oppression, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the goodness of God becomes on your life. Jesus read this part of the prophet and it said he handed the scroll back to the attendant, whoever was taking care of the scrolls that day. And then it said he sat down because in those, in the synagogue culture, the the person who would read would then sit down and take the posture of a teacher. And then he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, that passage is talking about me. I am the one who will lead you to freedom, release, and recovery of sight for your blind. This is the passage where we get the, the mission statement of Exodus is two words, release life. It comes straight from this passage. 
that Jesus came to release life inside of us and release us from all those silly, often selfish obstacles in our own life that keep us from being the kind of alive, awake, and free people we want to be. Whoa. Okay. It's going to fall here, so I'll just let it fall. That wasn't planned. That was like a interesting... I break, I break things all the time. I used to be a high school teacher, and I used to back into chalkboards and knock over desks. So anyway. Now... Read this passage and we think, okay, Jesus, he came to release us. He came to set us free. And then we read the, the Exodus passage. It's like, yeah, but God didn't do it like fast. So is it faster? I mean, he's Jesus, right? Can he change my life faster? Doesn't he have that Superman power now? To... And my answer to the question is, is God, the way God works is the way God always works. Now he works through Jesus. And yes, Jesus does do things pretty, can do things. He can instantaneously change things in your life. Overnight, he could. But again, Jesus is more concerned about your character growing than he is about your life being comfortable, right? So I do know this. As much as God was fiercely fighting for the freedom of his people in Egypt and leaving Egypt, Jesus is fiercely fighting for your freedom. There's nothing... There's no obstacle in your life that Jesus will not fiercely fight for your freedom, for your release, for your being alive, awake, and free. Now, does he do it in the way we want him to? Does he do it in the time frame we want him to? Does he do it in the, you know, microwave version of Christianity that we so desperately want God to No, he doesn't. But I am absolutely convinced that he does it. He will Scripture says he will finish what he started in you. I mean, I talked to some people even this morning before church and talking about people, I was talking to one guy who talked about his background growing up, it wasn't healthy of a family background. He didn't really went to church much and didn't know what, doesn't really know much about church stuff. So you have people like that that are here this morning. Then you have people here who've probably been to church since they were a baby. But the promise of Jesus is the same for all of us. He wants to set us free from our selfishness, free from our entitlements, free from anything that we think we deserve from God because God knows ultimately how to lead us to freedom. And we have to be convinced that God is absolutely for our freedom. He's not for getting us in line. He's not just for getting us to be religious people. Go to the next slide here. I've changed thing in my little rubric here. So we go from stuck to being released to being alive and awake and free. That is the absolute passion of Jesus for your life. For you to be alive, spiritually, alive in that kind of sense of you, you feel joy, contentment, peace. You're awake, you're aware of what's going on in your life spiritually. You're aware of the invisible world and what God's doing. And you're free. There's no habit. There's no stuff in your life. There's no sinful that have stuck you in a bad place. That's God's desire for you. That's God's dream for you. That's what he's going to fight fiercely about for you. Because you are his mission. All right? Some people say, what did Jesus come to do? Well, he came to, you know, world peace. He came to show us how to love each other. He came to forgive our sins. Okay, those are partially true answers. But what he came to do was, he came to set you free. You're the mission. I'm the mission. That's what he came to do. So we could be the kind of people who he could use to bring about 
the way of love, the way of peace, the way of joy to the world around us. But he didn't come for some abstract idea. He came for people like you and me. He came from people like every single one of us here. So don't quit on God. Be frustrated if you have to be about God's way he's directing you, but don't quit on God because he's not going to quit on you. He won't. He'll get you there. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we're grateful uh, that your objective is our freedom. And there are people here this morning who are enslaved in issues in their life. And some of us may even be enslaved to things we're not even aware of. So God, would you reveal that to us? Um, There are people here this morning that are stuck, maybe through no wrongdoing of their own, like the children of Israel stuck in Egypt. But God, I'm going to ask that you would begin to loosen their chains and free them from whatever uh, baggage they inherited in life. And would you set them free from that? And God, for those of us here who are on that journey of freedom and we see things, you're doing things in our life and we get frustrated, maybe even angry at you that the, the speed at which or the lack of speed or the lack of what we perceive as efficiency, God, would you just give us a spirit of peace and a confidence that you're not holding out, you're not holding back, but you uh, are passionate about our freedom and our joy. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sunday at Exodus, we, we uh, take communion and we do that primarily because it's, the, it's why we gather is because we believe that only through the work of Jesus and his death and his resurrection can we even be those kind of people. So uh, what we do is we, we'll start, we'll have a few more songs, Christina will.